1: It's good to see many of you. Maybe I didn't get a chance to say hi. Some of you trickled in late. Uh, You know, we'll get used to the late uh, comers because in a a few weeks, we're going to be changing the schedule anyway. So if you come at 10.30, you'll miss both services. That's how we planned it. Uh, But we hope uh, you're learning that in a few weeks, it's 9 o'clock and 11. Uh, but we're still like, we got a few weeks left of summer and we're uh, kind of moving closer to the end of a series on the Psalms. And this morning I really have the privilege and joy of introducing you someone to, that, that is a friend of the 180. Uh, we actually have unique partnerships as a church with different organizations. And if you're part of our church, you know this. We work with local organizations in Laval, some in Montreal, some have to do with a bike race on our street, some have to do with being in a park. One of our values as a church is that we believe that we're not just a church in the city. But we're a church for the city. And that means we, we need to learn to care about the things that are happening around the world and around our city. And this morning, I have the privilege of introducing you to uh, Reverend Jenna Smith. Jenna works with a great organization called Christian Direction. And, and maybe some of you have uh, heard of or remember her, her father, uh, Dr. Glenn Smith, who's been here before to teach and uh, was, uh, was for many years leading Christian Direction. And I'm going to invite Jenna to come on up. And she's going to share this morning from Psalm 55 for us, and uh, yeah, you can give her a hand. She's very, uh... thanks, Jenna, for being here. Uh, Jenna Jenna was here with us maybe about, I would say, five months ago. We had kind of a learning experience here. She was here with us for that, but we're really, really grateful, Jenna, for the work that you do. I know you're going to share more about that, and the kinds of things we need to be learning as a church as it relates to helping step into very painful and difficult things that are happening around in our world. And so this morning, just as part of uh, introducing Jenna, I want to let you know that a few of the themes that Jenna will address are very difficult to deal with and to listen to. And oftentimes when you're watching a show or you're listening to some some podcast, there's kind of a bit of a warning at the beginning to mention that you're going to hear some themes maybe that will trigger painful issues in the past. And so we want to let you know that the Bible is the best book to read that helps us get honest about the most painful things we face. And the Psalms are the place where we can go and listen. And this is a safe place for us to talk. And also to know that if you're here carrying some difficult things, that we're here to pray with you and walk with you and encourage you. Because even in the most darkest and painful times, Jesus has a message of hope and peace for us. So, Jenna, I know this is uh, something that's been on your heart, your work. And thank you for being here. Let me just pray for you before you you share. God, thank you for the gift of uh, different organizations in our city the ways that you're teaching us to work together and to learn from one another. Thank you for my dear sister and how she's prepared faithfully. We thank you for microphones that work, and uh, pray that you would help this one start to work, and uh, be with us now as we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
0: I believe my mic is on. Can you hear me? We're good. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. It's really um, a pleasure and an honor to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, as Don was saying, I work for Christian Direction, and I've been with that organization for 20 years now, and I was a frontline worker for many of those years working in youth ministry downtown. And a little bit past the pandemic, I went into a new role called outreach and engagement, which is a role um, in scholarship and in research and in accompaniment and formation with churches who want to be better involved in their communities. Um, and one of the big projects that we've taken on is called the RAFA project, the RAFA study. Uh, some of you may have already heard of it. Maybe you filled out the survey that was going around. But it's basically an inquiry, um, a community-led study into domestic violence and the church in Quebec. And we're asking the question, like, what is the experiences and what is the equ- how is the church equipped to respond to domestic violence, and if they are not equipped, why? Um, And so, I'll just tell you a little bit why I chose Psalm 55 when I was asked to be part of this series, and I love the name of the series, Grown-Up Prayers, because the Psalms deal with some grown-up themes, and for me, in the past year, I've been dealing with some grown-up themes. Um, I was invited back in the fall to be part of a prayer service at a church downtown for the victims of domestic violence, seeing as this was the field of work that I was in. Uh, It was the easiest job in the world. world. They are like, Jenna, would you come and be part of the service? Sure, no problem. What do you want me to do? Just read this. Great. (laughs) So I get up and it's Psalm 55. Um, And let me just read you the, the verses, if we can go to the next slide. The first verses that I read and I went, ah this is the psalm that I need in my work and you have this psalmist in the throes of a disaster and from the very first verses this psalmist is desperate and you can hear the desperation Um, he says at one point my heart quails within me and death terrors fall upon me. He's not just having a bad day. Okay? This is a disaster. And these verses where he says, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide it. So if it was someone I didn't like, I could handle that. I expect it. But then he says, it is you, a man like myself, my companion my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. So it was a spiritual friend, too. And we walked about among the worshipers, and this is the person who turned against him. And so the theme of what I'm talking to you about is what I'm calling relational betrayal. And the reason that Psalm 55 has been with me this full year is that I have interviewed so many women who have expressed this same emotion, this same sentiment, this idea of being in covenant with someone, a sweet companion, and then disaster strikes, and it's not just conflict, it goes beyond conflict. It's about being feeling betrayed. If we can go to the next psalm, he doesn't let uh, the next slide, sorry. He doesn't let up, it says, "My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant." His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. I could almost copy and paste those words to the people that I've interviewed who have gone through relational disasters in their lives. Um, In one version, his words are like butter or like oil, but yet battle is in his heart. And this is not to demonize any one person, but we wind up in situations, and this goes beyond just intimate partnerships. We have situations in many relationships in our lives, either we've lived it directly or we know someone who has, where things degrade so much that it winds up into this cycle that is being described in Psalm 55, this toxic environment in which people are living. So when Church 180 asked me to be part of this sermon series, um, I really do need to thank the leadership for their their openness of mind, because I I wrote back to to Michael saying, well, here's what I'd like, Psalm 55 has been on my mind, and here's what I'd like to talk about, I'd like to talk about violence and betrayal, and I receive an email back, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, if it's a no, then I'll just, you know, preach on, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and we'll be fine, okay? Uh, And I receive the email back, it's like, oh, wow, okay, I'll pray for you, (laughs) and then punctually throughout the summer, and I don't know if the leadership knows that, but separate people in the leadership are writing to me like, we're praying for you, Jenna. (laughs) so thank you. And also to you, the congregation, let me say this. Uh, This is the first time that I will be preaching on this topic in a a sermon. Um, It is my hope that you will not need to wear a helmet or a life jacket to survive this sermon, okay? I am not, just so you know right away, I am not going to get into any nitty-gritty details. Um, I am going to talk in peaceful terms and peripherally because we don't need... Uh, to traumatize ourselves, to take note of what is happening, and also to learn. Um, it is also my hope that some of the items discussed today, even if it's not your exact reality, uh, will still be useful and insightful and helpful to you and to your close ones. Um, because it's 2023 and we're in the context of Quebec, I'm not going to get into the war part or the political treason, I don't think it's that helpful to us in our context unless I have some very high-placed diplomats who need some advice. Do I? No? Great. Okay. When I'm talking, I'm really going to bring this down into the realm of relational, what I call relational betrayal. And we can um, think of examples of relational betrayal in romantic relationships, in family dynamics, Uh, We could talk about workplace toxicity. We know that burnout is huge and has been huge for years, and one of the reasons is because people are in toxic relationships on the workplace. We can even talk about schoolyard bullying, and there is nothing more heartbreaking for a parent than watching their child go through violence on the schoolyard and feeling like they are completely ill-equipped to deal with it. This is something that beyond domestic violence, although that is my field of study, Um, But this is something that touches a lot of people at different points in their life. And Psalm 55 does a very good job at expressing the guttural, um, instinctive emotion that is caused by it. Um, We are in a mental health epidemic. And the more that I've done this work, the more that I am of the opinion that if if we could do more to create healthy relationships, first and foremost, with God our Creator, but second, with our neighbor and with our loved ones. I think that would do a lot to create a healing balm over the mental health epidemic that we have wound up in. It is not just about being overworked. It is not just about anxiety about our money. I really think that healthy relationships or the lack thereof, especially first and foremost, with our Creator, but second, with our neighbor, and with our loved ones, would do a lot. Um, if we can go to the next slide. When we talk about what betrayal is, it comes from the Latin word um, tradere, which is to hand over. Um, in the early 13th century, we have uh, an, an old English word, and it means to prove false or to violate by unfaithfulness. This goes beyond a fight. Okay? Um, there's a counselor, and again, I'm not a marriage counselor, I'm not uh, a therapist, so I'm really depending on other experts for this. But uh, a PhD in counseling, Michelle O'Mara, says she talks specifically about betrayal and how it expresses itself in relationships, romantic or other. Uh, lying, perpetual lying. It's a betrayal. Humiliating or putting down your partner in public or private as a continual way of keeping someone down. It's, it's a cycle of control. How about committing an act of emotional or physical infidelity or being physically violent? These are all things that go beyond conflict and go into a space where someone is harmed and perpetually harmed as a means of being kept down. You can go to the next slide. Um, the Bible. I love what Dom said, the Bible's the best place to start on this, the best place to start. Uh, I was working with some teens at one point, and we were studying human trafficking, and we were looking at different stories in the Bible, and one of the kids said, says, the whole Bible needs a trigger warning. <laughs> I was like, oh, honey, I wish you were wrong, but Jesus is good news, <laughs> okay? So let me just skip to the end and say, all of this has a good news ending, Okay? all of this. And my f- feeling is a lot of these stories were put in the Bible to build up to the fact that, oh my goodness, we need Jesus. Okay, here's the thing. So here are four stories of betrayal. First, Joseph and his 11 brothers. Who remembers that from Sunday school? Okay. It took me a while to understand this was not sibling rivalry. They trafficked their brother. <laughs> they sold him into slavery. They put themselves in a position of power and took money for his life and then manipulated their father. Okay? This is not some little story. I'm happy it ends well, but their sin was great. Here's another one. Samson and Delilah. Who remembers that from Sunday school? Okay. Okay. So let me refresh your memory. In the book of Judges, Samson's a giant. He's big, he's strong, he's powerful. His mother couldn't have children, and then she was told by an angel of the Lord that she would have a a child, and he was going to be great and rule over Israel, be one of the judges of Israel. Um, And he's also, he's gorgeous. He's uh, built, muscular, and he has long, luscious locks of hair that he cannot cut, or else he will lose his strength. He's the strongest man On earth. And he falls in love with Delilah, who works, she's a spy basically for the Philistines, if I'm not mistaken. Um, He falls head over heels in love with her, and she betrays him not once, not twice, but three times because she is being paid by the enemy army to find out how to remove his strength. So the first time he says, Well, if you tied me up with string, uh, I would lose my strength. So she does, and he breaks free. And then she bothers him again. Okay, well, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? Uh, if you tie me up with this other type of string, uh, I would lose my strength. You know? And, you know, he breaks free. And then he tells her about his hair. Just put this one in your back pocket. He's the strongest man on earth. He's a judge. Smart. And she wears him down so much In verse 15, it says, Her words pestered him so much that his soul was tired and vexed to death. His soul wanted to die. And then she betrays him again, which leads to his death. Just put this one in your back pocket. When we say, how come that person doesn't leave their job? They've got such a jerk of a boss. How come she just doesn't leave her abusive partner? She could just leave. The strongest man on earth wound up being betrayed three times by the partner that he loved. He could not get out of the cycle of psychological dominance. He couldn't get out of her verbal abuse. We would call this in 2023 a verbal abuse psychological domination. They called it different things back then. So just think about that. David and Absalom, his son. Who remembers David and Absalom? Okay, so it's what we call a dysfunctional family story, or a train wreck, okay? Um, This one's a sad one, and actually many Biblicists believe that Psalm 55 was written on the backdrop of this story. That David is actually crying about the son who betrayed him. Okay, My sweet companion. He's talking about his son. It's an awful story. It's devastating. Um, One brother, Amnon, rapes his sister, Tamar. Um, I told you I wasn't going to traumatize you, but it's all in the Bible. It's not my fault, okay? (laughs) Uh, Absalom is furious kills the brother, okay? This is all in David's household, by the way. David, who we think, you know, man after God's own heart, amazing David. You know, I had a theology teacher who I loved, a brilliant professor, very devout Christian, and he just said to the the group one day, and we were all, ooh, you know, he goes, goes, yeah, David was a good leader. He was a terrible father, you know. (laughs) we're like, oh, my gosh, he said that about David. um, Okay, so David thinks he has reconciled with Absalom. And in the meantime, Absalom is raising an army against his father and goes to war against his father. Behi- David did not know what Absalom was, was planning. And it unfortunately leads to the death of Absalom as well. And David, it's one of the, the saddest but most profound passages. He goes into his tent and he says, I wish I had died instead of my son. Um, and then, of course, we've got Judas and Jesus Christ. The disciple who betrayed Jesus. Why are these stories in the Bible? Um, well, first of all, they make for great literature. <laughs> there's operas, there's movies. There, it's there's just it's they're just juicy. But the second one, I think, is because the writers of our Bible were not afraid of addressing issues of the human condition, and that. We need to face the truth that sometimes there is no limit to people's bad behaviors. This is true. And we see how this, all this arc builds up to the fact that when our Redeemer is born, we know we need this. We need a better news story. We need for someone, through his death and resurrection on the cross, to say, the new plan is we no longer need to live this way. The reason I chose these stories, if we can go to the next slide, is that we are, have to face the fact that conflict is conflict, but conflict is not necessarily betrayal, abuse, and conflict is not a cycle of harm. And vice versa is true. Abuse and betrayal and a cycle of harm is not necessarily conflict. Let me unpack that. A conflict, I think, speaking of grown-up prayers and grown-up things, a conflict can be a way for us to grow up. A conflict can be a disagreement over a decision, a situation, it could be a conflict of leadership, a conflict of vision, just a disagreement. I can name you examples in the Bible where there's healthy conflict or even unhealthy conflict, but for instance, Uh, Paul and Barnabas were in a conflict, and then they split ways because they decide that's just the better way to do things. And some people, some historians would actually say, you know what, The, the church grew through that because Barnabas continued mission over here and Paul continued mission over here. No harm, no foul. There are letters in the early church, letters from Paul and from different people to the church, where they talk about resolving conflict, and they think that that's a really good way for the church to grow, for people to become sanctified and to grow in their Christian faith. A conflict can be a clash of personality. Ask any couples around you if there's an introvert married to an extrovert, and they will tell you stories. (laughs) <laughs> about, like, planning Saturday night, you know, and the introvert's like, I'm good, Netflix pajamas, and the extrovert's like, come on, let's go out, and then, you know, five years into their marriage, they're like, we have got to figure out what's going on here, and then they do a personality test, and it's like, oh, okay, got it, that's a conflict, okay, a conflict can be uncomfortable, and something that I've noticed is that we do not like discomfort. We don't like uncomfortable conversations. We don't like having to confront somebody at work and saying, I'm really disappointed with what you did. We don't like, we don't like uncomfortable conversations with our spouses. It's just like, we don't love it, okay? But going into that uncomfortable place is often a really good way to figure out who we are and who our neighbor is. Again, I am not a psychologist, so I encourage you all to do your reading on this and talk to people. When we are talking, however, about what the psalmist is referring to in Psalm 55, we are on another playing field. We are in something that we can call a cycle of harm, meaning words, actions, patterns of behavior are used to dominate somebody else. And in all the four stories that I listed, the Absalom-David story, the Samson-Delilah story, one person wanted the harm of the other. That is just how it was. Judas appears with soldiers knowing Jesus is going to be harmed. This goes beyond a conflict. He knew that Jesus would be harmed. And so it's important for us to consider that the Bible not only talks about conflict, fights, disagreements, clashes. That's really good stuff to talk about. It also talks about this darker material, not fun, not easy to talk about, but it's there, and I think it is there because we have these writers of our sacred texts, we have the Holy Spirit, we have God and his son Jesus Christ and the Trinity telling us and pulling us into sometimes hard things, hard subject matter so that we know that we can take a stand and look what is God's plan in all of this. Let's go back to Psalm 55 if we can go to the next, um, next slide. So the praying through this, and so I really enjoyed addressing this this topic through the lens of pray, and pray like a grown-up. And on the backdrop of all of this relational distress, everything that we assume David is going through on the battlefield with his son, here's what he writes. He says, As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening morning and noon. I cry out in distress. He hears my voice. I have a specific prayer practice in my life. Every morning I read the Book of Hours, um, and I recognize this verse because one of the, the, the chanted uh, lines that comes back uh, is written this. It's in the evening, in the morning, and at noontime. I will complain, and he will hear my voice." When I read that in the book of Hours the first time, I thought, well, that's counterintuitive because I didn't think that it was okay to complain. (laughs) And also, like, that God just takes it. Like, come and complain. Come and complain. This path of crying out for crying out's sake is available to you. This is the first lesson of prayer, I think, that Psalm 55 is giving to us. That this idea of lamenting, of crying out, of complaining with no agenda, no expectation, no measurable action other than that is available to us. This is something that David does. This is something I would argue that Jesus puts into practice. He cries out on the cross. I don't know if you saw that this summer. That, it's also another verse from a psalm. If we could go to the next slide. So he is on the cross, and about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't say, God, God, what's the plan here? He doesn't say, God, God, get me down from this. He just cries out with, and that's the full prayer, just cries out. I would also say that these verses, in the evening, in the morning, and at noontime, I will complain, and he will hear my call. They give us something of a practice, and I say that it's not just about prayer, but it's about prayer practice, and I love that idea of a prayer practice. Because prayer practice doesn't just address the words that are used, but it addresses the how, the rhythms, the environment the people that you pray with. And so what we have here, David, I'm just gonna say the psalmist is David, for argument's sake. Uh, He's giving us his schedule. I've got a schedule. In the morning, at noon, and in the evening. (laughs) This is what I do. Um, We have practices that are available to us. Uh, Two of the women that I interviewed in the context of the RAFA project gave me two success stories of prayer, how prayer helped them exit out of a violent relationship. Um, the first one said she had a, a Holy Spirit moment. It was like this epiphany in the midst of one of her very, very difficult periods. And she heard the Holy Spirit say, call this couple. It was a couple that weren't at her church. They had known her since she'd become a Christian. They lived in another town over She hadn't talked to them in a while, but she called them. And she said, I have to tell you something that's going on in my life. And by God's grace, they said, why don't you come over right away? And she did. And they started praying with her, and they said, we're just going to pray with you until you decide what you want to do. And she said every week. They were the only ones who knew what was happening in her life, the only ones. And they prayed with her for years, and they still pray with her even though she's out of her relationship. Some experts would say that what she has done was the safest thing she could have done. She created allies for herself. She created a safety safety network. She created a circle of trust. And also, having those two people in her court gave her the courage to act further in her situation. Same thing, another woman gave me another success story, very similar to the first one. Um, she had met with a nun um, and was misunderstood. person didn't understand what she was going through. And so she courageously went to another spiritual director, also a, a someone who had taken vows, was a nun. That person said, uh, I completely believe you, what you're going through. I'm going to start praying with you until you tell me what you want to do, until you have a plan. And she so said, to this day, I pray for her every day. She prays for me every day. Same thing. She created a circle of trust. The prayer practice is actually, was actually as important as the words of the prayer. It was the fact that she created an environment. Both women created environments, and they created a circle, and they created like a, a, um, a, a, a net network of allies. Uh, that's just one example how the practice becomes as important as the words themselves. And so if you are in a small group, or you, I would say like no matter what situation you are in in your life, uh, I hope to God it's nothing as distressful as the things that we've seen today, but your practice and your network is probably, I would say, as precious as the words of the prayer. The prayer also in Psalm 55 states, this is wrong. It just says it. He just comes back to it over and over. I have been betrayed. He doesn't try to work its way. Well, maybe it was wrong. God, what do you think? It is okay as well, and this is another practice that is available to us in prayer, that if we feel that we have been wronged or if we feel we are stuck in a toxic relationship or if we feel that we are in an impossible situation relationally, it is all right to just state it. And sometimes in stating it, we gain the clarity as to what needs to be done. I told you I have been in this research for a full year now. On Friday, two days ago, we got our first statistics back from the survey, and here's what I can tell you. You guys are the first to get it, so you can rejoice in the fact that you got the scoop. I don't know. <laughs> okay there was a series of questions. Here's just two things, series of questions because we wanted to gauge what is actually being taught in churches, how present is uh, issues of domestic violence being discussed. So there's just like, there was a few questions It was just click, 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 you know, type thing. So to these statements, my church prays for domestic violence uh, survivors or victims. And actually it was, it was on the higher end. Not quite half, but more people said yes. Then to the next ones down. My church, I have heard a sermon preached at my church on this topic. That was much lower. Uh, I have attended a workshop at my church on this topic. That was much lower. I have seen flyers in the reception area. I'm not trying, by the way, to say Church 180, you're not doing a good job. Look, I'm here, it's fine. <laughs> uh, the flyers, posters, that was much lower. I, my church has handed a number. They have a number out for the local shelter, much lower. And then to this statistic, and this one you can take to the bank. The statement... I believe the church in Quebec should do more to educate its members on domestic violence. 73% of respondents agreed or strongly agreed with that statement. 73% agreed. I believe the church should do more to educate on domestic violence. Only 5% disagreed. The rest were, like, uncertain. Okay. So, I mean, that was Friday. We're Sunday. Here I am. I take my orders very seriously from the church in Quebec. I have no problem, no problem whatsoever, staying. that the journey to freedom, when we're stuck in a cycle of betrayal or in toxic relationship, it starts with prayer. What I am hearing from these statistics, from how people have responded to this survey, and this is the, the respondents, it's not me, the prayer, we're okay to start there. We cannot stay Passively in a state of prayer. I am hearing from people they want more in their minds and they want to know more what to do with their hands and their feet. And so the prayers that we have, we have guidance in Psalm 55 on the prayers that we can do, on the practices that we have, and on the sentiment and the emotions that we are allowed, that we are completely free to express. But we, I would be wrong to say that it ends there. And actually... In Psalm 55, we have have avenues of what is suggested to us in this sacred text as to what God's desire is for us and what is, you know, appropriate for us to desire facing this dark matter. If we could go to the next slide. Okay. The psalmist is very, very clear. I call it the desire for safety. He expresses over and over and over again a desire for safety and I'm going to call this a holy desire because this is sacred text and this is, um, this is emblematic and it is significant of theme upon theme upon story upon story in the Bible of God's desire it mirrors God's desire I would be willing to argue with anyone who said that God did not desire for us to be healthy and whole and in communion with him, and in safety. We have story after story, Jesus in his ministry, stories from the early church, over and over in the Old Testament, of examples of how God reaches in and pulls the person in danger and brings them into safety. Even Jesus, at the end of his 40 days in the desert, being tempted by, by Satan. And I'm not saying that that was a cycle of abuse. That's an entirely different theological story. But what's the first thing? What's the first thing? Angels come and they take care of Jesus. First thing was care and healing and safety. First thing. So what does he say? I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would fly, flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and from the storm. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me and even though many oppose me. And the last phrase in the psalm, but as for me, I trust in you. Battle wages on, the harms keep on coming. It's still really difficult. This is not an easy answer psalm. But what's the last thing? As for me, I trust in you. And so I think that this expresses desire. And I'm going to call it holy desire because we are designed to desire this. We are fashioned to desire this. There's a beautiful folk song uh, that was uh, inspired by this psalm. Um, some bright morning, when this life is over, you're not going to get me to sing, uh, I'll fly away. They take the the line, I'll fly away. And then it's when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Now what's interesting is in the folk song, they talk about it as the journey to heaven. On the wings of a dove, and it's when this life is over. It's a little different in Psalm 55. He talks about going to the desert and having earthly shelter. Now, We often have, in these poetic moments in the Old Testament, this sort of intertwining of the heaven imagery with safe God imagery, with safe shelter imagery. I believe the psalmist here is talking about earthly safety. But, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. That's pretty heavenward. It feels quite heavenly. And what did the songwriters talk about? They talk about flying away when the life is over. They, I think it was probably subconscious that they just figured it's going to be heaven. Why is this so intertwined? Why are these verses of safety so heaven-bound, but they talks about also communion with Creator, and the thing is, I believe that heaven-bound and communion with God, that is the safest place we can be in right relationship with our creator of God, and we often think that there's only heaven that can do that. Now, I believe, obviously, I think, that once we are in God's presence completely, that is the ultimate home. It's the most sacred place. It's the holiest home. But earthly safety and relational safety is not too much to ask for. We do not have to wait to the end of our lives to work for this. I think that the road of sanctification that Jesus offers us, so much of it is about getting right, repenting of sin, building better relationships, so that this safe shelter that is described in Psalm 55 becomes part of our Christian lived reality. And it will be imperfect until the day that we die. It will be something that we fall short of and then continue to work for and then repent and then come back. But to desire earthly safety, to desire refuge and relational safety is not too much to ask for. And I will put my cards on the table to say that when I get phone calls um, from people who are still caught in a cycle of relational danger. My first question now, because of everything that I've learned, is are you safe? And I have received feedback sometimes from women saying no Christian has ever asked me that. We need to ask that question more often. Please, please, please be the people that at least are aware of the importance of relational safety. And I will put my cards on the table again and say that I do not hesitate, not for a moment, to get people in touch with accurate resources and appropriate services so that they can get out. So, I believe that the holy desire that has been expressed in Psalm 55, we were fashioned for it We were designed for it. And the good news through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross is that there is a plan for us to be there, even if we are not there yet. And so I speak to you today. If you are living any form of relational betrayal, of toxicity, be it at work, be it in a situation with a friend, family member, or be it in your partnership, Your desire for health, for safety, for healing, and for shelter is a holy desire. Holy because we were designed for it. There is nothing in scripture to to suggest that we were designed for anything less. I speak to you. If you are the friend, or the neighbor, or the family member of someone who is facing this storm, be the shelter. Be the port in the storm. Do what those saints did for those women. Be the good news prayer story. The two questions that you could ask that would be the most helpful, what do you want and how can I help? Can I pray for you? And when you're ready to act, can I assist you? Those are all precious phrases, precious, precious phrases. And I speak to all of us, regardless of what our situation is, that the safest, holiest relationships and the safest of homes, and notice I am not saying the escapiest of homes. (laughs) We are called to hard things. We're doing it right now, having hard conversations. But it is in the arms of our creator God, in communion and in relationship with him. So in that, can I ask us all to read this as a blessing, Um, these verses? A blessing for ourselves, a blessing for those stuck in difficult situations, a blessing for anyone who is on the road of healing, actually, from one of these situations. And so we'll just read these last verses as we benedict ourselves and others. So here we go. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and the storm. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. But as for me, I trust in you." Be blessed, everybody.
1: Wow. Hearing the hard stuff. I'm just going to invite Pastor Michael to just come up on the keys before we close. I just want to give us a chance to just uh, just think about some of the things we've heard. And uh, as Jenna was sharing, you know, I could feel in my mind how difficult it is if you grew up in a place where prayer was always like a magic spell that you prayed and God just magically fixed everything. I kind of grew up in a bit of that world. And so I thought, oh, you have a problem, let's just pray, and then I can go on and do whatever I want. And when you hear the Psalms, the prayer is just the first step of then acting and responding and being God's people in very difficult situations. So Jenna, thank you for doing the research, the work that's going on that's just kind of started, uh, your commitment to speak and to help churches learn to think about this. But all of us maybe heard that in different ways. I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that growing up, I experienced real strange types of abuse in my home. And many of them were washed away, and many of my family weren't believers. And some of the best lines I heard were, we're tough, and we don't talk about this, and that's what men do. And there's all these cultural dynamics at work. And so maybe that was your experience as well. But I'm so grateful for the Bible. I'm so grateful for what the Bible invites us into and how Jesus invites us into this place where he becomes the good news in the midst of all of this kind of bad news. So as we stand, can I just invite you to just maybe think about, you can all stand before we close. Because I just want to just say something about two different, different types of people that Jenna alluded to before I pray. I really believe in my heart that nobody wakes up in the morning and decides, I can't wait to be an abuser. Nobody gets up and says, my goal in life is to abuse and control and to hurt other people. When that is left unattended, the devil comes and sin grows. And the Bible says that sin grows like this desire where we begin to love the feeling of being in control and hurting others and knowing that we hold their lives in our hands. And now there's a darkness that has seeped in. And so maybe you find yourself in a place where you've seen that or maybe you are that person who's hurt others and is maybe still hurting others, Jesus sees you. And it is unacceptable to the king of this world that you would think that you have the power that only belongs to him. And so this morning, you get a chance to repent of that. you get a chance to say, I think that some of those habits and patterns have creeped into my life and they've become okay and I'm a good liar and I manipulate and Jesus is not okay with that. And his people will not be okay with that. But we invite you to come to our Jesus who forgives and restores and who can heal those things. So maybe that's you. And if that is you, the most awkward thing I could ask you to do is come to the front. So I'm not, but I am going to ask you to come and talk to someone so that we can enter that space and walk with you without shame and help deal with that situation. Maybe for you, you're on the other side where you feel helpless and no words and no voice. Jenna gave you the words maybe that would help. I've asked Jenna this question before and I've often asked her, do men sometimes report that they're experiencing certain kinds of abuse? And she said, yes, as well. This is not just a man or a woman thing. It's an issue of how sin grips our lives and comes to destroy everything that gives life, which is the way of Jesus. And Jesus has set us free from that. So in a minute, I'm going to pray. And together, we're going to trust that God has some new things to show us. And we're going to welcome his repentance and his peace and his goodness to not only pray what the Bible teaches us to pray, but to respond with the strength that God gives us to be the people who long for his healing and his goodness in our lives. So let's just pray together. Father, so much of what we've read today and heard today is heavy and difficult for us to understand. In a world that tells us we should just run away or ignore or blame someone else for many of these issues, your people have said no, not on our watch. And so we ask today, Holy Spirit, that you would enter some of the darkest and most painful areas of our lives and remind us that there is hope in the midst of of sin's attempt to control the things that you have set free. I pray for us as a church that we would be maybe in the simplest way for a friend or a co-worker, a listening ear, a safe place, one who prays and comes alongside someone who's struggling with some of the things we've read about in Psalm 55. I pray that you would continue to bless the research that's happening through Christian Direction, Jenna, and the team, and help us to be a light not only in the church but for the city. As I think of police officers and teachers and workers and social work who deal with so many of these painful situations that they would know that there are churches who are ready to respond and pray. Make us one of those churches. Make us one of those churches that is ready to find our place among those who are doing their best to help. Help us as well as we go, Father, to find the right times to maybe talk about some of these things with our children and with the next generation. For we know that their future depends on us being healthy families, healthy churches, and healthy communities. And you promise to help us to do that. So may we not shy away from the wise and important conversations and the right timing. So would you guide parents and grandparents and friends and teachers, even as we think about this week and back to school, to help us to create that kind of space. I pray for anyone here who needs to talk to someone now. Pray for maybe someone online who's listening, who's trapped in a cycle to know that they're an email away a phone call away from having someone pray with them. That you would help them to take that step. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. These are some of the most important prayers, prayers we will pray as a church. If you're here and uh, you want to talk to someone and pray, we have like a prayer space here that's very safe and private. And uh, someone from our prayer team would love to just talk with you. And it's confidential as well. Outside of us pastors, they are the ones that would pray with others and maybe invite us into those conversations. So we'd love for you to use that if you need that. If you're sticking around for our picnic, we're really excited to see you there. I can't wait to taste some of the food you all brought for me. Uh, it's a joke. It's okay. <laughs> so we're like, We're not even going. We hate picnics. We don't care. But we hope to see you there. Uh, If you get a chance, just say thank you to our kids team as as you pick up your kids and then make your way to the picnic. Look forward to seeing you. And if you're not going to join us, we look forward to seeing you soon, especially next week. And just know that we're here, and we love you, everyone online. Thanks for joining in. God bless, everyone. See you soon.